We welcome those of you watching online from upstairs in our modern sanctuary worship service, as well as those of you online or listening to our podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Good morning to you. Uh, we are in the midst of a new series uh, starting out called Whatever It Takes, and so glad you're here today to be a part of that. Uh, and part of the inspiration was actually a hypothetical question that one of my sons asked me recently. He said, Dad, if someone kidnapped me and sent you a ransom for $1 million, what would you do? And I said to him in all seriousness, I would do whatever it takes to get you back because you're my son and I love you. And I don't have a million dollars lying around, so I don't know how I would do that, but I would do whatever it takes to get you back. And I'm sure that all of you who are here in person or joining us online or from upstairs would do the very same thing for your loved ones. If someone was taken from you that you loved, you would do whatever it took. You would move mountains, you would leave no stone unturned, you would do whatever it takes. And I've seen that with you when loved ones fall sick or someone loses a job or difficult things happen in lives or our, our teenagers are struggling with things about growing up. We do whatever it takes for the people that we love. Well, that's just who we are and what we've designed to do. And so. Over the course of this series, I'd like us to think about for whom would we do whatever it takes? And how far are we willing to go to help people? And so I invite you to think about that. Not only the people that you love that would be easy to do, but what about the people that God calls us to love that are not very easy to love? How far would you be willing to go for them? Whatever it takes. Uh, the University of Colorado at Boulder is a very good university. It's a very academic institution. It's in a beautiful location in the, in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, it's a great school and institution. But the University of Colorado has had a difficult time fielding a football team that can win games. And when you're in the Pac-12 conference where Colorado is, football is big money. And there's a lot of pressure on these schools to have successful football programs. Uh, in 2022, the University of Colorado won one game and lost 11. Right? That's not a winning uh, tradition that's going on. And those 11 losses, they lost by an average of 29 points, which if you don't know football, right, that's four touchdowns, that's four scores. That means that you are terrible. <laughs> You're just not getting the job done. And so the University of Colorado decided that they wanted to do whatever it took to get a winning program, even if it might be seen a little controversial. So they decided to hire an up-and-coming uh, coach who at Jackson State won two conference championships. Uh, this is a smaller kind of school, uh, but they decided to hire their coach, and his name is Deion Sanders. Here's a picture of Deion Sanders. Uh, he's not your typical college coach. Right, so Deion Sanders uh, is a great athlete. He played football at Florida State University, also baseball there, and did very well. And then he went on to play professional football and professional baseball at the same time. Right? Not many people can do that. He's the only athlete who's ever played in the World Series and the Super Bowl, right? The greatest things that you can do in baseball, the greatest things you can do in football. He won two Super Bowl titles. He has a lot of flair and a lot of charisma. And he was known as Deion Sanders, also known as Prime Time. And so now he's known as Coach Prime. And he was this hire for Colorado to help them turn around 
their football program. So uh, in the first part of being hired, uh, he cleaned house of his students. And so his current football team in 2023 has 77% new players. So starting over, 77%. You're one in 11, you're probably not going to get to stick around on the team, right? So he started the team over. So far this year, he's won four games and he's lost three. Uh, he beat the national runner-up, the second team in the nation last year. He beat them. He almost beat another team, Stanford. Uh, um, I'm sorry, University of Southern California. Almost beat them. They're a ranked team. So he's having a good deal of success. But there's controversy because... He doesn't fit the quote-unquote traditional college coach mold. He's flashy. He's dynamic. He wears sunglasses and hats to interviews. Uh, he just operates in a way that some other coaches find to be not the way to do it. They think he hasn't paid his dues. Um, but I think some of what's going on here uh, might be racism because he's obviously an African-American uh, coach. And although 70% of African-Americans play uh, the sport of football and college football, only 10% are coaches, uh, African-American men. And so I wonder how much of that's going on. But there's a lot of controversy around him. But uh, Colorado is doing some winning. And their student store that sells their merchandise or merch, as young people say today, you know how much it's increased since he's come on board? Their sales are up 892%. That's no joke. 892%. Their applications from out of state are up 40%. That's not 892%, but that's a lot. I think every college in America would like to have 40% more applicants, right? Because he brings a winning program. He brings a winning tradition. Uh, people from all over the nation are flocking to Boulder, Colorado to go see football. Uh, there was a man from Atlanta, African-American man, who took his young son, age one, to Colorado to see one of these games. And they interviewed him and said, why are you here? He's like, well, I never would have dreamed I could come to Colorado, come to Boulder, but I'm here to support the prime movement. And I want my son to be a part of this, right? Now, I know that those of you who don't like sports think, well, what's the big deal? Right? That's understandable. But Colorado has made an investment, a controversial investment, in doing whatever it takes to be a winning program with someone that I think is really awesome and uh, great. And their ratings, uh, they're some of the most watched uh, ratings of college football this year. This is a quote from Deion Sanders that I just love about what he's doing. Uh, People are drawn to hope, man. Shoot, we're David, as in David and Goliath, right, from the Bible. We ain't got but a couple of stones here. We're playing against Goliath every week. We were 1-11, and and now you're tripping about us. We're pulling people in, man, that just want a chance to be seen, to be heard, to be noticed, to be recognized. They just want to be pushed in the swing set of life every once in a while and say, wee-wee, right? (laughs) This guy's contagious. He's fun. He's fun to watch. Uh, And Colorado has made an investment, whatever it takes to win. And it's going to be interesting to see how it continues to turn out. I think sometimes, too, when we talk about whatever it takes, um, sometimes we can go too far with that. Sometimes we can go way too far with that. Um, And I want to talk about something that probably a little controversial today, but a lot of you have been asking me about what I think about it, what the church teaches about it. Uh, But if if you've seen the news, you've seen anything about the war between Israel and Hamas uh, is going on right now. And we were obviously all horrified by the attacks that Hamas launched uh, a couple weeks ago. 
into Israel, into Israeli neighborhoods uh, where they went in and killed men, women, and children, uh, tortured them, did terrible things. I'm sure you've read about it and seen some of the videos. And it's just things I can't even say out loud because it's so heinous and evil. And Hamas is an organization that wants to have a Palestinian state in the Holy Land, in the place of Israel, uh, and they had attacked Israel. And they're doing that in the name of God, that God wants them to take that land, and killing women and children and torturing them is all part of that, to do whatever it takes. That's definitely too far. It, it's, it's evil, it's heinous, and it cannot be condoned. And now, of course, our eyes are on Israel and what's their response going to be? And they've put a siege on the Gaza Strip and they've been bombing that and there's a lot of controversy that they're also innocent men, women, and children uh, who are Palestinians who are being killed. Um, and I think we need to pay attention to that because not everyone who's Palestinian, not everyone who lives in the Gaza Strip is part of Hamas, right? And so I think we can see both sides doing in the name of God from either of their perspectives, whatever it takes, and innocent people on both sides are being killed in the name of God, men, women, and children. And so it's a very complicated situation. Uh, well, where did it come from? And I think it, it's as old as, as the Bibles that we read when God called a man named Abram and a woman named Sarai to leave their homeland who was probably in Iraq to go to the land of Israel to become a big family, to become a big nation so that the world could be blessed from Israel. And in doing so, they had to right, get rid of some Palestinians to move them out of, the, of their homeland. The area of Israel was called Palestine. And that was about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And then we fast forward the story to about 1,400 years before Jesus was born. The people of Israel had been taken into Egypt. They were in slavery. God called a man named Moses to lead them out of slavery back into the promised land, which means that they also had to oust the Palestinians who had resettled in that area. And so there's this, this kind of family warfare fighting for the land of Israel that goes way back even 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Now we fast forward the story now to like the 1900s. I want to show you a, um, a picture here. And this comes from aljazeera.com. Al Jazeera is a news group out of the country of Qatar uh, for Arab-speaking folks. Uh, and, and this is just a map of uh, Israel and why they say a big part of this conflict's going on. You see in 1917, all that green represented Palestinians who live in the land of Israel. And the slight blue would be uh, Israeli Jews who lived there in 1917 and 1917. Uh, Great Britain said that they have a mandate to, to make a home place for people who are Jewish, people who are Israeli, and so they started doing that in 1917. Then you see in 1948, after the end of World War II, uh, the state of Israel was created by the United Nations, and you see all of a sudden that the Palestinian groups get a lot smaller and the Israeli Jewish folks get larger. And so the little strip on the left is the Gaza Strip that's all in the news right now. It's about the size of the city of Philadelphia, a couple million people. And then the green to the right is called the West Bank. Uh, it's on the eastern side of Israel, so that's kind of confusing. Uh, it's the western side of the Jordan River, and that's why it's called the West Bank. So a lot of Palestinians live there. The city of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is in the West Bank. Lots of key things in the Bible are in the West Bank. Then in 1967, Israel was at war with all the neighbors around it, uh, and it began to occupy 
the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And you see in 1995 that that green's becoming more blue. There's more Jewish settlements there. So it's two different groups that claim the same homeland, going all the way back to Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, to Moses uh, and the Exodus, all the way up until today. This is a holy, sacred land for different groups of people, different people of faith, um, and it's, it, it's, it's sad because there are people who are being killed on both sides of it. Well, and, you know, people ask, well, you know, well, Pastor Kyle, didn't God say that Israel was for the Jewish people? I mean, that's who he gave it to Abraham and Sarah. And that's, you know, who Moses was given to. Absolutely, in Scripture, that's absolutely what it was said. Right? But the goal of Israel, if you remember, if you read Scripture, of the covenant that God made with Abraham and Sarah and again with Moses was that Israel would be a blessing to the whole world, which culminated in Jesus. And so Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he resurrected, and so that mission has been completed, right? And so I think now, if you read scripture, it says that we are to love our enemies. It says that the lion and the lamb are to lay down together. And I think that God's heart breaks when anyone is killed in the name of God, right? Whether you're Israeli, Jewish, or Palestinian. And by the way, Palestinians are Muslims. Some Palestinians are Christians. There are Christians in the Gaza Strip that are being killed, right? So... <laughs> It's a big mess. And I think God weeps when anyone's killed in the name of God. Uh, I've been to Israel myself several times throughout my life on spiritual pilgrimages. I've helped lead them. I've been there with my family. I've walked where Jesus walked. I've seen the empty tomb. It is a powerful, powerful thing. And in my time in Israel, I've met great, loving people who are Israeli and Jewish. And I've met great, loving people who are Palestinian and Christian and it, it breaks my heart that's what's happening in Israel. And I say this all today just to say that it's complicated and it's difficult. And I think God would have us pray for peace in Israel. Uh, peace in the midst of Israel. And, and I say this as part of the sermon series by saying that sometimes when we say, we'll do whatever it takes, we can go too far. When we cross ethical boundaries, when we cross moral boundaries, and we harm other people. So it's just something to think, like when we try to think about when would we go, right, do whatever it takes, there are certain boundaries that, that we don't want to cross. And I want to come back to Jesus, right? So let's, let's look at the example of what Jesus does. Um, so Jesus created all of us in God's image. You're created in God's image. I'm created in God's image. And that's a good thing. There's a lot of goodness in you. There's a lot of goodness in me. There's a lot of goodness in Palestinians. There's a lot of goodness in, in Israelis. Right? There's a lot of goodness in Russians. There's a lot of goodness in the Ukrainians. There's a lot of goodness in Democrats. There's a lot of goodness in Republicans. Right? So God has created all of us in God's image. There's a lot of goodness inside of us. And so I hope you'll just know that. You, you can be like God. You can love people. You can <laughs> forgive people. You can create beautiful things in the world. You can do great good in the world because God created you in his image. God also gave us the ability to choose, right? We have freedom of choice, and we, we can do whatever we want to do. And sometimes we make good decisions, and we do great things. And sometimes we make terrible decisions, and we hurt other people. We hurt ourselves, right? We, we, we do these things called sin, wrongdoing, missing the mark. And when we do that, we experience guilt and shame. We're going to die because of that, and we experience hell. 
which is broken relationships, which is separation from God, it's separation from other people. And Jesus saw that and said, this is not what I intended. This is not why I created people. I created people in my image to be good and, and they do great things, but sometimes we just do great evil and we have all these consequences. So Jesus says, I wanna fix that. And so he came into the world, he left heaven, he came into the world, he became a human being while still remaining God he had all the power in the universe. He could have conquered and been a great military general and killed everybody or whatever, all the enemies and done whatever it takes, but that's not Jesus' way. He died on a cross, taking with him our wrongdoing, our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, our hell, and he defeated it in his self-sacrifice on the cross when he came back to life. Right? So Jesus did whatever it takes to win us back. But he did no harm to anyone else. He took the harm upon himself. He was self-sacrificing. Look what it says in Romans here in the New Testament. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners making mistakes, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus does whatever it takes to win us back. Jesus does whatever it takes to win us back. And why is that? Because he loves us. Jesus has a heart for you and for me. Jesus has a heart for everyone in the world. Jesus does whatever it takes to win us back because of Jesus' heart. But he doesn't do harm to other people, right? He doesn't violate ethical or moral codes he loves you that much to do whatever it takes to win us back, and that's powerful. And because Jesus loves all of us, he's concerned for people who don't yet know who he is. And so he calls those of us who follow him, who've received this great gift of, of his love and forgiveness, to do whatever we can to help people find life to the full in Jesus which is why he came in the first place. John 10, 10, I've came to give you life to the full. Right? So look what Jesus tells us now in John's gospel, John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Right? So God has this heart for us. He does whatever it takes to win us back. And now he says to us, Right? Those of us who follow him, because I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Right? This is a new command. But if we read the Old Testament, it's not really new. God says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So what's different about this command is the qualifier. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? How did Jesus love us? Self-sacrifice. Giving of himself for the good of others. Not hurting them, not doing harm but sacrificing for others. So Jesus says, I love you. I sacrificed for you. If you follow me, I want you to love others in the way that I loved you. And so I guess the question is, brothers and sisters, how far are we willing to go to share the gospel of Jesus? Will we do whatever it takes to share the gospel of Jesus with other people in our families, in our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our community, how far are we willing to go to share the love of Jesus? 
want to read to you an example uh, from scriptures from a, a man named Paul who lived in the first century. And Paul was convicted by God to, to follow Jesus, and it turned his life around. He was killing Christians and throwing them in jail until he found Jesus. And, and then he totally did a 180 and began to, to start churches and tell people about Jesus. And he wrote most of the New Testament, most of what we have in the New Testament are Paul's letters to the churches that he started. This is how far Paul was willing to go to share the gospel for Jesus. Let's check this out. Uh, as Paul writes to a church in Corinth, which is in Greece. And he says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I don't have to help people. I'm free to do what I want, but I'm allowing myself to be uh, a servant of other people so that they can come to know the love of Jesus. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Right? Remember, Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. The movement of Christ started in Israel with Jewish people. And so Paul was a Jew, and he wanted to help them learn who Jesus was. To, win, to those under the law, the Jewish law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. This is a very complicated passage about the law. Just forget that stuff. What I want you to see is that Paul was called to take the gospel to the Jews, to the Israelites, right? So as to win those under the law. Let's keep going. To those not having the law to those who were not Jewish, right? The people in Rome, the people in Greece, right? The people who were not Jewish, right? I became like one of them, not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So Paul's saying, I came to the Jewish people where Jesus came from, and I'm also coming to the Gentile people, to those who are not Jewish, because God loves everyone, and I'm gonna do what I can to reach both groups, right? To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. So Paul, and he says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul gave his life to Christ, turned his life around, and he was so on fire with Jesus, he's like, everyone needs to know who this Jesus is, whether they're Jewish coming out of Israel or whether they're not Jewish coming out of somewhere else. I'm going to do everything that I can. And that's why he traveled all around the world. And that's why he worked with Jewish people. That's why he worked with non-Jewish people. Right? Paul did everything possible to reach as many people as he could. Right? That's how far Paul was willing to go. So that is why we're here today. Right? We're thinking about how far are we willing to go to share the gospel of Jesus with other people. Right? To do whatever it takes. So... The goal of this, this series, is going to go through the middle of next month. And at the end of that series, what I invite you to do, we're going to have a Sunday. It's going to be a commitment Sunday. I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a commitment to God, to serve God in 2024 with three things. With your time, with your talent, and with your treasure. Right? How will we give to God our time, our talent, and our treasure to build up the ministries of the church so that we can share the gospel of Jesus with the South Park community and with our ministries in North Carolina, our ministries in Haiti, right? What are we willing to do? Jesus gave it all, right? Jesus did whatever it took to win us back. How far are we willing to go? Whatever it takes. Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Now, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I almost didn't name this sermon series Whatever It Takes for a couple of reasons. One is because... The negative connotation of, right, 
like what we see in the world, people take it too far, take things too far in the name of God. I don't, I don't want us to take this beyond ethical and moral boundaries. I don't want us to do whatever it takes, harming other people. That's not what we're about, right? So that was one caution. The other caution was it's going to scare you all to death, right? Whatever it takes, that's serious, Pastor Kyle, right? I'll give some to the church. I'll give some time. I'll give some money, but I'm not going to give whatever it takes, right? There's a boundary here, right? And, and so... By naming it whatever it takes, I know that that's a risk that I might lose some of you. You might have already checked out. Like, I'll give to God a little bit, but I'm not giving whatever it takes, right? I'm not there, right? So I almost named it what it takes. But then I felt the Holy Spirit was saying, Kyle, don't be a wuss. You got to be bold, man. Jesus gave up heaven. He gave up his life so that you and I can be in a right relationship to God, so that we can live life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus can give whatever it takes, it's not unfair to ask that we consider that as well. So I'd like to ask you to begin to pray about what does that look like in your life? What's the next step for you of giving God your time, of giving God your talents and ability, of giving God the money, the treasure that you have in your life? What does that look like for you to take that next step to support the ministries of the church as we try to reach people for Jesus? And again, why are we doing this? Because God loves us. God loves all of us in this room, all of you upstairs, all of you online today. God loves you. And God loves your neighbors. And God loves your family. And God loves the people in these apartments and the people that come to these businesses here. God loves the people that you work with. God loves the people that are in the schools with you. God loves the Israelis. God loves the Palestinians. God loves the Ukrainians. God loves the Russians. God loves everyone. He loves everyone in the world as much as you love the person that you love the most in the world. Think about who that person is. Who is that person in your life? You would run through a wall for. You would find a million dollars for the ransom. God feels that way or more about everyone in the world. And he calls us to care about them just as he does. Now the trick is, it's easier to love some people than others, right? I'll run through a wall for my wife, Laura, or my boys, Luke or Nathan, but there's some people that I'd be less likely to run through the wall for, right? Because they might have been mean to me. They may not even want me to run through the wall, whatever it is. But God says, that's my child. And what I, what I mean by this, who's the person at work that needs God but that drives you crazy? Who's the kid in your classroom that needs God but drives you crazy? Who's the neighbor in your neighborhood? Who's the cousin or the crazy uncle in your family Right? Who are the people that, that live here that get our parking spots that are closer to the church that we just, right? God calls us to share the gospel with them. And what's helpful for me in the Bible is that love is more than an emotion. It's an action. We can love people and not like them. Think about that. Think about the people that you love the most. There are moments in your life where you want to tear their heads off, Right? You don't feel the warm, fuzzy feelings, but you still love them with the way you treat them, right? So some of the people God calls us to love, it's going to be easy because we have that warm, fuzzy feeling for them. But there's some people God calls us to love that we're not going to like them. And so maybe the place for us to start is with our time or with our talent or with our money. To be kind to someone, to be compassionate to someone, even though they don't deserve it. Because why? Why? They're a child of God, 
and God loves them. Over the past couple of weeks, it's been a hard time in the life of our congregation. We lost three very dear, uh, loved congregation members to death. Right? And they died before they were supposed to. They died younger than we would have hoped them, right? One battled cancer, one battled ALS, right? We, we had some really tough stuff going on here. And I'm just so proud of our church because we did whatever it took to rally around those families to let them know that we love them. Right? We had celebration of life services. We had beautiful music. We said great words. We had receptions with food. And, and, and we called and sent cards. And, and we're just getting started. We've got to keep doing that. We've got to keep calling these families. We've got to keep praying for them. We've got to keep going to see them, inviting them to church, right? Because our lives go on, but their lives are still with that hole and that missing. And I'm just so proud of our congregation that, that we rally behind them and say, this is not good. It's awful. It's sad. It, it, it's gut-wrenching, but we're here. You're not going through this by yourself. And we have hope that they're with Christ in heaven and we can see them again. I'm proud of our church for doing that. But I want you to think about all the people who live around us who don't have faith, who are going through hard times, right? who are battling substance abuse or domestic abuse or their financial world's falling apart. They have diseases and illnesses or they're lonely, or, you know, just all of the brokenness. And they don't have the church family that, that we have. They don't have the good news of Jesus that we have. They don't have a community to rally behind them and help them think through why bad things happen and how we can still have faith in God. That's what I'm asking you to do, is to have a heart for the people who don't know Jesus and who go through the ups and downs of life just like we do, but they don't have the coping skills of the power of Jesus Christ. What can we do to help them know the love of Jesus through the ministries of this church because God has a heart for them and I know that we can as well. So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? This is what I think it is. I skipped that, but let's look at that, right? What we're asking God is to create a pure heart in us like God. Can we go to the next slide? All right. Jesus does whatever it takes because of his heart. Jesus does whatever it takes because of his heart, right? So three things to think about. One, give your heart to God. If you don't yet have a relationship to God, know that God loves you, created you in his image, died on a cross for you, came back to life so that you can have life to the full. Give your heart to God, right? Another thing that we can do today is ask God to help you love people like God does. Transform our hearts, right? That was that passage from Psalms. God created me a clean heart. Right? Give me a heart for other people. I know it's hard to love some of the people that I come across in my life. God, give me a heart to be able to do that. Right? And finally, begin to pray about your commitment to God in 2024. How has God given you gifts and abilities? What treasures has God blessed you with? What time do you have to, to, vote, to, to devote to people through the ministries of our church? Right? So one last slide today I want you to look at. It says, God loves, insert your name there, right? God loves Kyle. God loves Eldis. God loves Molly. And God loves Joyce. God loves Cole. God loves Lindsay, right? Those of you upstairs, God loves you. God loves you. Those of you who are online, right? God loves you. God created you in God's image. God died on a cross for you. He left heaven to come to the earth, came back to life. God loves you. Never forget that. But I'm betting if you're like me, that if someone sees God loves Kyle Thompson, 
there's somebody in the world, somebody in Charlotte, somebody's going to say, well, God loves Kyle Thompson, but I don't. That SOB owes me money. That guy broke my heart. That guy did me wrong. And God might, not, God might love him, but I don't love him. And I'm guessing in your life you've hurt somebody. You've wronged somebody. And they might say, well, God loves you, but I don't, right? And yet still God loves us. Even when we're not perfect, even when we make mistakes, even when we do the wrong things, even when we're guilty, even when we have shame, God still loves you. You're never too far from God. That's why God came into this world. And that's how God feels about the people in your life that drive you crazy. People in the world that we just think are absolutely evil beyond being saved. God came for everyone. What are you willing to do to help them find the love of Jesus Christ? Will we do whatever it takes to share the gospel? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.